Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A last airbender fan cast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. Aang awakens to find himself gravely wounded on board a stolen Fire Nation ship with his friends. He is shocked and dismayed to discover that the world believes him to be dead. Aang heads out on his own to overcome his failure and regain his honor. But after a conversation with Roku, Aang agrees to keep his existence a secret. Zuko and Azula are welcomed home as heroes, where Fire Lord Ozai congratulates his son, having been told by Azula that Zuko struck Aang down. Zuko, however, secretly believes the Avatar may have survived. So Aang has hair now. Uh, yes, he does have hair. As they stated, he's been out for a couple weeks. A few weeks. Yeah, so Michael, you actually saw Aang's hair before watching this episode. Does it... Is it in better context now? How are you feeling about it? I mean, I guess given the context that he was unconscious for a few weeks, and that's why he has hair now, I mean, it's gonna take some getting used to i'm just i'm used to a little bald boy with a arrow tattoo saving the world i'm not used to a guy with a full head of hair he just looks like every other boy right do you see the storytelling potential in the decision to have ang grow his hair back out sorry i just pictured <laughs> like katara and Sokka like noticing the hair growing out and they're just like, should we try and shave it like he does? And they're just like, I, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Sorry, that thought's been crossed my mind. I do see a storytelling reason for him having grown his hair out. Because for the most part, everyone believes that the Avatar is dead. Everyone thinks that he died by the hands of Zuko or Azula. And he needs to keep a low profile. And with his hair growing out, that covers most of the tattoo on his head. And then he can wear a bandana for the rest of it. So I, I do right. see the storytelling reason for him having grown his hair out. It just takes a little bit to get used to. Yeah, I can agree with the getting used to it part. I remember the first time I watched the season many, many years ago. And it was weird at first. Mostly because I didn't picture Aang to have short, curly hair, as what this seems to be. Yeah, I don't know what kind of hair I pictured Aang having, if he did have hair. So, I'm just a little thrown off that there's hair there at all. But let's talk about the opening of this episode. Our establishing shot is literally Aang waking up in a setting that we've become familiar with as a Fire Nation ship. And the moment where he comes out of the room, sees some Fire Nation soldiers around the corner, attacks and then tries to make a run for it. What were you thinking in the moment of where he was, how he got here, what's going on? Were you as confused as Aang was, or did you put some stuff together? I'll be honest, within the first shot... I immediately thought, oh, they just captured an enemy ship. Oh, okay. Like, as soon as he woke up and saw all the Fire Nation stuff, I did think it was weird that I understand keeping all the paraphernalia on the deck of the ship, 
But I did think it was funny that they they kept it everywhere else, apparently. <laughs> and they didn't think about, you know, when Aang wakes up, he's going to see all this. Let's see what he does. Right. <laughs> I, can, I can picture Sokka. It's like, you know, it'll be funny. Or Toph. Yeah. She would probably think that was funny. Maybe someone was always at Aang's side, and they didn't really think of it as a factor, because it's like, well, someone's always going to be here when he wakes up. And this was just like the literal two seconds of a shift change that he woke up, and they weren't ready for it. So someone just went to the bathroom, they came back, it's like, oh my god, I have one job. <laughs> Something I found interesting in that scene was all of his bandages. They mm-hmm. covered a good bit of his body. I'm not entirely sure why, unless they were around the arms covering the tattoo as a precaution. But for the most part, it's the injury is like in his back, like the middle of his back. I didn't mm-hmm. understand why he needed bandages everywhere else. I think the idea there is if you get struck by lightning, you you wind up with burns in multiple locations. So even though the back was like the center point of the strike... He may have had some minor, like, first-degree burns in certain areas. That's my reasoning. Okay. Because we we do see a shot of him laying on Appa again in this episode, just after or before Katara heals him. And we see a lot of burn marks around his, like, pants and other parts of his clothing. So it, that may have been, like, minor skin burns they were implying. Actually, now that I think about it, he was in a fight with Fire Nation people, so he probably got other burns. So, what did you think of the dynamic with sort of this whole crew together on the ship? We see Sokka and Katara's father with his fleet of soldiers. We see the Duke and Pipsqueak reunited with them. It was a really cool reunion, almost. Yes, it was. And I really liked the idea of them capturing an enemy ship. Part of me thought about why didn't they do that before, but then it crossed my mind that, well, they kind of have to do it now because there's a lot of Fire Nation ships around now because they've captured Ba Sing Se. And it was even working for a while. Toph mentions that several ships have passed them by and left them alone. It's not until the one we actually see pull them over and dock that they had a problem. Let's talk about Aang's struggle for this episode. Did you understand his reasons for being upset at the idea that he had to stay hidden? I did. I would say I I understood. Because he's essentially had two seasons worth of I'm the Avatar. There's a war in the world. I have to go and make it right. I have to go and defeat the Fire Lord. Like, this is what I have to do. So to go through all of that, and then you're at a point and say, well, we don't really need you right now. We need you to lay low and stay quiet. Because, like, we need we need you to do nothing for a little bit. And Aang does not strike me as the most patient little boy. You know, he's always got to be active. He's always got to be doing something. Which, you know, works out fine, except for, like, right now. Well, that's odd because the training of a monk is to be patient. And that's like the air nomad way. Then he should have been, he, then he should have understood immediately. 
It's like, oh, I have to be patient. I have to wait. I have to master the art of neutral Jing. <laughs> I, maybe that's it. Maybe he hasn't learned that yet, like knowing when to do nothing. Because right now, it's like, you can't do anything. You have to do nothing. Like, we need you to lay low. Like, you're our element of surprise. And maybe this episode was just him finally reconciling that fact. It's like, I have to know when to do nothing. I partially disagree with you. Oh, okay. Here, here was my reasoning on his uh, attitude in this episode. I think he has mastered patience. I think that's part of his air nomad training. And I think he is very good at it. But he was struggling with it in this episode because he had already failed the world for a hundred years. People thought he was dead. And it happened again. Even though it was only for a few weeks, the world thinks that he's dead and he has let everyone down again so that it's like a, he's like stuck in this loop of failure. And he was so desperate to prove that I didn't let it happen again, that he was ready to get out and fight and show the world, no, the Avatar is still here. But he did have to finally come to his senses and realize that Sokka is right. This is a huge advantage so that they won't come looking for them anymore. They can take the time to properly set up for the right attack. I do agree with you that failure is an important topic for Aang in this episode. I think Aang needs to recognize that failure is okay. And that ultimately... Even though he lost the fight and they lost Bossing Say, they lost that battle. They didn't lose the war. Like he still has a purpose. He still has something that he needs to do. And even though he failed in this one fight, they're still moving forward. Like they're still gonna try and invade the Fire Nation on the day of Black Sun. He's still gonna try and face the Fire Lord. So for me, I see it as this is just a part of his journey. And I think Aang just struggles to accept that. There, There is no way you can go and try and defeat a warlord who is controlling almost the whole planet. There is no way you can go through all of that without any sort of failure. Like you're going to have a victory like the Siege of the North, and then you're going to have a failure Bossing say. Like that's mm-hmm. that's a big part of it. I think in this episode that Aang recognizes it's alright that I fail because I still have another chance to prove to the world that the Avatar is back and he's not I'm not gonna let anything like this happen again. Right. I think it all boils down to one of Aang's character traits that we've seen is that he does care what people think of him and what people think of the Avatar. We see in the storm, the old fisherman gets to him by saying, you know, you left us for a hundred years, it's your fault. And in the Avatar Day episode, he literally won't leave the town and just let this town think what they want about the Avatar. He lets them arrest him and goes to trial just to prove that the Avatar is not what they think. And in this episode, it's shown again that he cares if people think the Avatar failed them again. And 
he has to reconcile with that and and let it go for now. Yeah, I really don't know if this is a flaw or a good thing in Aang's character. I would say it's pretty neutral. It's just a character trait that he has. So another interesting thing we see in this episode is the reunion of Katara and her father. And it's funny because we actually miss their reunion. It happens while Aang's unconscious between the seasons. But we do see this like aftermath of it where she is still emotionally distraught and and taking it out on him a little bit. That she says in that moment where she's like uh, crying in his arms, I understand why you had to leave, but I still don't, I still feel this way. And it was very powerful. It was very, it was very moving to see that kind of truth coming from Katara. I don't know. It was, it was, it was odd at first to see why she was so like short with him. And then to understand it by the end of her character arc there, it was, it was something we haven't really seen from Katara in a while. For me, the heated interactions between Katara and her father, I didn't really like them at first because it just felt like it was out of nowhere. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, I can't remember Katara ever saying anything about her being upset with her father for, for leaving. Right, there's never been any sort of uh, mention of that type of thing and that's why it was it was jarring at first because you feel like you missed something yeah and that's why I didn't really like it because well you can either have it she's just happy to see her father like Sokka is mm -hmm. or you can have it like she's always been a little upset with him for leaving like she never really understood why he left and then in this episode she learns both of those would be good I I didn't like how this episode just kind of, like, mashed it together. Like, the second we see her father, and he's, like, checking up on Aang, and Katara's just like, you can go now, Dad. I'm just like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah. I always hate that trope in any television show where it's just like, these people were friends, but now something happened in between seasons. Something off screen, and now they don't like each other. Right. So that's that's what it felt like to me. Ultimately, I didn't like it because it just felt like it was out of nowhere. It's a nice moment, but it didn't feel earned to me hmm. because there was really nothing leading up to it. If you if we had opened up with a flashback of them like talking and then maybe Katara and her father embrace and then someone says a little thing and then or he says a little thing and it gets Katara a little upset and then things just get heated from there like if we if we saw that start and then we see it end in this episode i would like it but because we're just kind of thrown into the middle of it it didn't work for me completely hmm. i i understand what you're saying I, I see where you're coming from for me however i really did like it I, there was something about it almost felt like katara had been bottling up something and that even between seasons, she still hasn't had a conversation with her father. And I think it's all in that line when she says, I understand why you had to leave and I'm not upset or that she, she was never angry at him for doing so, but she still 
feels this way. It, it almost felt to me like you can you can be as stoic as you want to be and say, eh, people die, it's going to happen, whatever. But then if you lose a loved one, you're still going to cry about it even if you tried to prep yourself for the inevitable, right? And this to me felt like it was inevitable that my father had to leave. But I'm still going to cry about it now that, you know, I'm able to talk to him and, and almost blame him in a way. I, I don't know. I just, it for me, it worked. But I understand what you're saying about not feeling earned. It is true that a lot of the focus of their father leaving was often told from Sokka's point of view. Yeah, if they had shown just one scene, either in the opening of this episode or just any of the prior two seasons, just one mm -hmm. scene of her being a little bit upset with him for leaving, maybe like when Sokka mentions him, or they could have had it in the Bottle of the Water Tribe episode. If if it was just a little something, I think the scene would work. But for me, it just kind of, it feels like conflict from out of nowhere. Let me throw this at you. What if it was there, but it was just incredibly subtle? In the season two finale episodes, she was very quick to not go see her father. She stayed behind at Ba Sing Se to work on the war effort when she probably didn't have to. Maybe maybe there was something there about her just not quite ready to confront him for leaving. Maybe so, but are we saying that because we've seen this episode or because there is actually something there in the right in the season right. two I finale? I just it popped in my mind, so I thought I'd throw it out. I guess that's a headcanon thing, I suppose. It may not actually be there. Going back to that scene. As I can remember it, there's nothing about it that indicates that Katara doesn't like her father, or has some, is upset with him, or has a dislike of him. Mm -hmm. All it is is just, it indicates she knows how important seeing their father is for Sokka. So she lets Sokka go because she knows how important it is to him. Right. And so when I think about that scene, there's really nothing there to indicate that she is upset with him. I will yeah. say... It probably would have been better if she had gone with him, because I, I still don't think she served a lot of purpose in the planning room <laughs> at Bossing Say. And she did ultimately spill the tea about Zuko and Iroh. So, I don't know. Maybe she should have gone back. It, Who knows? And I, I, I do think what they were trying to get across with, the, with this episode was that she probably... I don't think she knew that she felt this way until she reunited with her father. That's stretching it a little bit for me. It's like the, those, you know, you can be fine with it and fine with it until you're literally confronted with it, and now you have to come to grips with something that's bothering you and you don't know why. Like I said, I think it worked for me. Well, I don't think it worked for me. All right, well. So I'll tip my hat to you, good sir, and I'll see you at noon. In the saloon for a duel. This podcast is over. No. Yeah, you just wait next week. It's like, so hey guys, it's Michael. Landon's dead. So. <laughs> well, we'll have to agree to disagree and move on, I suppose. Fine. <laughs> so let's talk about 
Zuko and Azula for this episode. Brother and sister reunited. We see a very grand entrance back into the Fire Nation for Azula and Zuko with this announcement from Azula's advisors, the two old ladies that we saw back in the beginning of Season 2, sort of recapping everything that happened and is even going on between seasons of the capture of Bossing Say and the occupying of the Fire Nation moving in, the tearing down of the walls and Zuko's return. It, it was just very grand and epic. And and we see that Zuko and May are now a couple. Yeah, I've been rooting for them since Return to Amashu. Yeah, I think it wasn't it hinted at early season two that may used to have a crush on zuko or was it the other way around it was hinted at and returned to amashu and i've been waiting for it ever since but who had the crush on who again she had a crush on zuko that's what i thought okay because we saw in zuko alone he was more flippant and angry with her mm -hmm. like when azula would try and mess with him and like push him together or whatever right right but now they're together and um my heart goes out to them. Yeah. They're they're my end game. Oh. <laughs> uh, for me, Zuko's return felt a little bit like a fish out of water. Did you get the same vibes? I would say so, yeah. He's um he's been gone for three years. Yeah. And the idea of him being welcomed back with such open arms but he didn't complete the quest that he was mm -hmm. banished to go do. None of it was as he imagined it would be. And he doesn't quite know what to make of it. Yeah, I kind of got a sense from Zuko that every everything of the return felt a little hollow to him. Yeah. Because he had ultimately failed in his quest. Like he didn't he didn't capture the avatar and bring it back and Mm -hmm. Then we find out Azula is telling everyone that Zuko killed the Avatar, not her. Right. And and I think that that really drives home how much he didn't earn it. Because if, if it was just, well, I helped my sister and she killed the Avatar and I'm being welcomed home. That's not how it was supposed to go, but it's okay. Then to find out that you're only home because your father thinks you killed the Avatar. It just adds one more lie and hollowness, like you said, to the whole situation. And I couldn't wrap my head around why Azula lied for him in the moment. Before the revelation she gives, what were your thoughts about that? Uh, I, I'll be honest, I kind of immediately figured, oh, Azula's trying to manipulate him. Because neither of them have the body of the Avatar. They didn't see a mm -hmm. dead body. And it's like that old comic book logic. If you don't see a dead body, then dead is not dead. Right. When she does finally reveal, you've got nothing to worry about unless the Avatar's actually alive. It was so devious. And something that only Azula could pull off because honestly she's got no reason to believe the avatar survived except for maybe a look in zuko's eyes that's really all i can think of 
but it's all it's the perfect play because she has nothing to lose. She doesn't need the glory of killing the Avatar. And if he does come back from the supposed dead, then Zuko's the one to blame and he'll be filled with all the shame and it, it's just honestly it should have been a moment for Zuko to just walk away from everything I think because it it felt like she was extending an olive branch back in Bossing Say, and this is the moment that shows she's still the same person she always was she's still treating you the same way but unfortunately we don't really get to see what his next move is before the episode is over I'm pretty certain that he already regrets the choice he made. Yeah, I think it's sinking in. But I feel like another thing that contributes to the idea of him feeling hollow about everything is that I, I've made my choices and now I'm back and I'm essentially trapped. I, I made my choice to help take down the Avatar and it looks like he was defeated. And like, We capture Bossing Say. There's no one left to defeat the Fire Nation, so like I'm back where I started. Mm -hmm. And I'm remembering so much that I didn't really like about home. So like now I'm back with my father, which you know that's the big reveal at the end. I'm I'm back home with my sister and my father, and I have their respect and honor, supposedly, but is that what I wanted? So I think that's one thing that contributes to how it looks like he feels hollow. It's like he's back here. He's not there under the circumstances he thought he would be, but he's back home. And I don't think it's what he wanted. I think part of that, he's just in there. It's like I made a choice to come back here, and then it still feels like the same thing to me. Mm -hmm. We don't. We didn't see what happened to Iroh, so I think at this point Zuko has no one to go to. Because the only person he could rely on was Iroh, and he betrayed Iroh, and we don't know where Iroh is. Right. So it's right. unlikely that he can go up to Iroh and ask for his comfort, because I imagine Iroh would be pretty upset. And then who else is he going to go to? I I highly doubt May wants to hear about his inner turmoil. <laughs> yeah. Although that kind of stuff seems up her alley. She's always sort of had some inner turmoil that she likes to express. I don't know, because we had a moment on the boat where she said, hey, are you cold? He's, he's just like, oh, yes, I'm cold. Right. right. <laughs> and he goes into the, like, it's been so long. How will I face my father? I don't have the avatar. And she's just like, yeah, I just asked if you were cold. <laughs> right. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's why I love May. It's like, I, I yeah. asked you one question. Next time I want to hear your inner turmoil, I will say... Zuko, tell me about your inner turmoil. <laughs> and let's not brush over the fact that Azula says Maze actually seemed pretty ha happy lately. Yeah, that's why I'm rooting for them. Yeah. Because <laughs> Maze's been so dark and murder-happy <laughs> the whole time we've seen her. Thankfully, we haven't seen her actually murder anyone. But yeah, I just find it, I don't know, heartwarming. They like Zuko's her light at the end of the tunnel. Right. That's... I don't know what she sees in him, but you know, I'm happy for them. It'll be interesting to see more of that character dynamic. It'll be fun. I I am looking forward to it. So we also get in this episode our first official reveal 
of the Fire Lord, Fire Lord Ozai. Fire Lord Ozai. And I've never really thought about this before, but it's obvious that not showing the Fire Lord, you know, in in full in past seasons was a way to sort of make him a little bit more scary, kind of less human. There's always fire in the background or in the foreground whenever the Fire Lord is depicted or mentioned. But one of the things it does that I realized this time was this stated him as the season three antagonist. We had Zhao for the first season, so we didn't really need the Fire Lord. We had Azula for the second season, so again, we don't need the Fire Lord. Let him be the background threat. And now this time he is shown to us for the first time and now it's official, he is the season three antagonist. And I think that's really clever storytelling. Yeah, I saw it in a little bit of a different light, Mm -hmm. where I think the Fire Lord is the antagonist of the whole show. Uh, He's the main villain in each season. officially, yes. Yeah, but the way I saw it, it's just, um, like, season one, they had Zhao and Zuko to an extent for Aang. Right. And they had to defeat them, kind of like the Fire Lord's lackeys, but it's all ultimately to get in the position to fight the Fire Lord. And then we got Azula and Tylee and May, another pair of lackeys from the Fire Lord, and now it's actually the Fire Lord. So it's kind of like, it's like in the MCU with Thanos, like they keep teasing him in in the movies, and then he yeah. finally appears. And when he appears, there's no, like, grand introduction. Like, he, he's just there. He's just another character like everyone else. Uh, he's just the big bad that everything was leading to. Yeah. That's how I viewed Ozai being revealed. Yeah, you're not wrong. He's definitely always the main focus, but something about it now is, is like, he's not hiding behind any more lackeys. He's literally come out on camera for the first time, for lack of a better word, like, there's no one else in the way. Mm-hmm. It would have been so funny if Aang, like, looked at the camera and said, we're in the end game now. <laughs> then that would have meant that the that Marvel stole it from Avatar. I mean, yeah. So I guess that takes us into a little bit of world development. And I think the biggest thing, and something I really wanted to see, was what happens to Ba Sing Se after the Fire Nation has taken it over? And we see that the Dai Li are still operating by Azula's orders. And they banded together and tore the wall down, or tore a section of the wall down, so that the Fire Nation could just march in and occupy the city. And it's a it's a glimpse into sort of how it has worked for the rest of the world that has been overrun by the Fire Nation. Somehow they get infiltrated and the Fire Nation just moves in like they own the place. I will say, I did appreciate that it was a clean break in the wall. Right. That's the only good thing I found about that scene. That Nobody's tripping over random bricks as they come in. Well, you know, you can get the marches all synchronized, all the tanks, yeah. they go in. Maybe, like, rows of four or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> I forgot about those tanks. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I saw that, I was like, they have tanks? Oh, yeah, they do have tanks. Last time we saw them was the drill episode. They were. Yeah, they got defeated easily 
Yeah. That's what I remember. Then we get another shot of the serpent again, which I completely forgot about and wasn't expecting. And for some reason knew that the Fire Nation ship was the one that needed to be attacked. Does the serpent have a moral compass? Maybe. What if it was circling underwater for a while and like looking and like maybe assessing the situation? Maybe this is where it learned how to have a morality. Because it's looking, it's like, okay, these people are clearly trying to leave and this ship is trying to murder that ship. <laughs> like they're and they're trying to murder him pretty hard. It's like these people must be bad. And like that's that's why it went after the Fire Nation. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it learned morality in that moment, or maybe it just it already knows. I really don't know. Yeah. The plot needed that to happen, so it happened. I suppose. A random coincidence that worked out. Yeah. I mean, you could have had Toph, like, open up the front of their hole a little bit, so they would start taking on water, and they couldn't chase them anymore. You could have had them do that, but I don't know... I don't know how far Toph can metal bend. I, I don't know if she still has to be touching the metal to bend it. Right. You know, something I was thinking about with Toph's metal bending was she reunites with Sokka and Aang in the season finale of season two. And Sokka and her wind up in jail. And as soon as there's no guards around, Toph just blasts the metal door off the hinges. And we never get a moment of, like, her telling Sokka or the rest of the group, yeah, I learned how to metal bend, by the way. And then it happens in this episode, and I think it's the first time Aang's seen it, and still no conversation about, you know, hey, by the way, that miraculous, amazing, impossible thing I just did, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I I imagine in the jail scene, she told Sokka beforehand, we just didn't see it. Right, I'm saying it would have been nice to see it. It's very weird that we didn't see it. And then, you know, when Aang sees it, they just sit him down, they just show him the Guru episode where she learned how to do it. So he, <laughs> Just show him the episode? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's my favorite thing for any character. It's like, how do they get caught up so fast? Oh, they just they just watch the movie or the, the show. <laughs> and one last minor thing I wanted to get your opinion on. What do you think about Aang's staff getting destroyed? I thought it was sad. It's a very striking shot to have the episode end on the staff sticking up in the volcano and just catching fire and... Yeah, it was a pretty symbolic image to end on. And I feel like they chose to end it that way to indicate that this season isn't going to be like the other two. Where they're riding on Appa and Aang swoops into some little village and saves a day or defeats the bad guys. It's not going to be like that. Because everyone thinks Aang's dead, so we have to keep it that way. So... Mm -hmm. We have to keep it on the down low. And so that means he has to get rid of any markers of the Avatar, which include his staff. It really does encapsulate the shift in tone that I think is going to continue through the season. Because this entire episode felt way more serious than I think any that we've watched. It did, yeah. And that actually brings us into our plot now. We see to the end of this episode that Sokka, Katara, and Toph, along with Appa and Momo, leave the rest of the group from the Stolen Fire Nation ship 
to be with Aang. And we don't really know what their plan is at the moment, but we know that they are going to regroup with everyone else on the day of the eclipse. The day of Black Sun. And I guess their plan now is just to lay low while Aang heals, but also he still has to learn firebending too. But they're not really like discussing that at the moment. So I'm curious what's going to get them their next step forward. Yeah, I don't know. I was about to say that maybe they're still planning on doing the old Avatar State thing, but I can't remember if he can access it right now, the Avatar State, because he was killed during the Avatar State. Yeah, that's something we'll have to see is if that's brought up as a concern or a topic. But it also can't be... We've seen that it can't be the end-all, be-all, and... He needs to learn how to be a fully realized avatar without the avatar state. So we just have to wait and see what, like I said, what moves them forward now. All right. Well, here's hoping we get the cave of two lovers, but now with Zuko and May. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our other past episodes, please leave us a review, subscribe, tell a friend tweet about it, whatever you need to do to help the podcast grow a little bit. We rely on word of mouth, and we appreciate you so much for listening. And if you want to join in on the conversation, you can email us at avatarfancast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your opinions on episodes we've discussed, and thank you again for listening. All right, Michael, tell us what our next episode is about. Our next episode is Season 3, Episode 2, The Headband. To better camouflage themselves as real Fire Nation citizens, the kids check out a Fire Nation school. Also, Zuko confronts Uncle. So we get the return of Iroh next episode. Yeah, that's a little bit disrespectful, isn't it? Just... Zuko confronts Uncle. Yeah, He's got a name. I don't like that. I really don't. Let's just call him Iroh. Like... Also, confront? If I remember correctly, Zuko, Iroh is the wrong party in this situation, and you were the one who wronged him, so why are you confronting him? I mean... I don't get it. They left on bad terms with each other, so it could be a confrontation. So, we're officially seeing that the group is going to be infiltrating the Fire Nation... What do you think about getting to learn a little bit more about their the culture and even seeing a school? I am excited to get a glimpse of life in the Fire Nation because I can't remember if we have seen that before. Uh, I Honestly, I don't think we have. I think the only thing we've really seen of the Fire Nation is their occupation in other nations around the Earth Kingdom, mostly. Yeah, and in this episode, it sounds like they're going inside the Fire Nation itself. So they're going to be going to places that have been Fire Nation for like the last hundred years. They're not occupied villages. Yeah. I don't remember the specifics, but I am looking forward to seeing the Fire Nation school again. To sort of see how they're taught about the war. Like, what do you, what do you tell the infiltrators that are growing up, you know, about what's going on with the war. 
it must be a you know a great cause if you're going to teach it in a school, right? Uh, yeah, I am interested to see what the school will be like, how they rationalize the war to the children. Because that's pretty much, that would have to be how they would keep it going. It's like, well, eventually we're all going to get old and die, so we got to make sure the next generation carries on the flame. Literally and figuratively. Yeah, it's all about propaganda. All right, well, join us next time for our discussion of the headband. Aren't you cold? I've got a lot on my mind. It's been so long. Over three years since I was home. I wonder what's changed. I wonder how I've changed. <sighs> I just asked if you were cold. I didn't ask for your whole life story.